Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights into making money in food. I'm Tara Johnson, the Tara's Way Lady, and we're here to talk to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food business. Hey, Jess, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Hey, Tara, it's my pleasure. It's so good to, to hear your voice all the way from Rhode Island. It's a, it's a beautiful day in Rhode Island and uh, just happy to, be, happy to be on the podcast with you. Awesome. So why don't we start with you introducing yourself and your organization? Sure. My name is Jesse Rye. I'm the co-executive director of Farm Fresh Rhode Island. Farm Fresh is a nonprofit organization that's based in Providence, Rhode Island. And we've got the goal of connecting farmers and eaters and strengthening New England's regional food infrastructure. Uh, very much from the start, Farm Fresh's mission was based around growing a local food system, uh, a food system that valued the environment, health, and quality of life of Rhode Island farmers and eaters. And uh, our organization has really grown from uh, humble beginnings as a student project at Brown University. Uh, you know, almost 17 years ago into a nationally recognized organization working on, uh, you know, significant innovations as a food hub. Uh, we've, over the years, had a really strong organizational growth. Uh, a lot of that has been driven through uh, technological innovation. Uh, I would say, you know, some sound business and organizational practices and also an extremely dedicated uh, staff and, and team of volunteers and folks just pitching in. Um, our organization, uh, you know, as a nonprofit, uh, takes a very uh, holistic view of food systems change. Uh, we have uh, a range of programs that we run. Uh, one of our biggest is our Markimobile program, which is aggregation and distribution for local farms and food businesses. Uh, that serves currently uh, over 115 farmers and food producers. Uh, we manage uh, farmers markets. So uh, the markets that we run, uh, both in the summertime and in the wintertime, uh, feature a mix of small business vendors uh, and food producers. And we run the largest uh, indoor wintertime market in New England. And uh, then we also have our Harvest Kitchen program, which is a, a processing kitchen that creates value-added products from local produce uh, while also providing job training to at-risk youth. And finally, we have a community education uh, program where we get out into school settings uh, through farm to school, uh, senior, senior centers, and also uh, the general community out at our farmer's markets. And uh, throughout all of our programs, uh, a running thread is, um, you know, incentivizing, incentivizing local food purchases. So at all of the farmer's markets that we run, we... Uh, facilitate a, a program that we call Bonus Bucks, which is you know similar to a to a Double Up uh, Food Bucks program, where uh, it's a it's a one to one match for anyone that's using uh, uh, SNAP incentives. So we're able to do that uh, at farmers markets. We're able to do that uh, in our uh, Markimobile program, and then we also help to make sure that that system runs uh, throughout the state of Rhode Island at all of the markets in Rhode Island. And we also are the lead for uh, a large USDA uh, GUSNIP grant for the New England region, uh, with the exception of Massachusetts. It's amazing. So, um, you know, you, you articulated your, your mission, which is so broad and ambitious sounding. And then you go into your programs and you go, 
holy cow, the reach of this organization is incredible. When you started, what did you start doing 17 years ago? Sure, sure. So uh, when FarmFresh started in 2004, there was, you know, limited consciousness of kind of like a bi-local movement in Rhode Island. Uh, there were definitely organizations that were uh, working on a smaller scale and farms were, were starting to talk about this. But uh, FarmFresh really came onto the scene and uh, quickly became a go-to for both consumers uh, and businesses seeking out local farms. Mm -hmm. uh, the beginning of our work as an organization was very much centered around uh, a local food guide that just uh, was an informational resource that helped to connect people into to opportunities. Uh, and it was, it was very much this food guide and our farmers markets that uh, were very much the start of Farm Fresh. And uh, I, I wasn't here at the very beginning of, of the organization. Uh, you know, that time from 2004 until I joined in 2012, uh, the organization saw a lot, of, uh, a lot of changes and growth in that period. Um, I think there was a lot of uh, developing proof, proof of concept, uh, trying new things. Uh, in that time was when our uh, Harvest Kitchen program started and our Markimobile program started. And uh, both of those programs had uh, very, uh, very humble beginnings. Uh, Markimobile was uh, really born out of the need to connect our farmers at our wintertime farmers market uh, with opportunities to sell what was left over. And... Uh, we quickly realized uh, that there was a, a, a big need for, for that service in general because uh, it wasn't really happening in a way that was either efficient for, uh, for the farmers that we work with or for the chefs that we work with. And through a, uh, through a really cool partnership with a, a Rhode Island restaurant group, we were able to launch, uh, launch another aspect of our database, which was, uh, which was the, the food guide, and we were able to turn that into a kind of a business-to-business -business platform. And that was back in 2005, 2006. And, uh, you know, very, very quickly, uh, and I should just say this was a tool that we, you know, that was developed in-house by one of our uh, founders, Noah Fulmer, um, between uh, Noah's technical innovation, uh, I'm one of the co-directors of FarmFresh, and uh, my co-director Sherry was, uh, you know, with FarmFresh from the beginning. Uh, started as a volunteer and then uh, grew into a, a program director role. Um, Sherry and Noah and uh, uh, Luella Hill, who was also one of the uh, first founders of FarmFresh, um, really laid a lot of the, the formative groundwork for what we do and kind of what we become. Um, when I joined uh, the organization in 2012, uh, I joined as a, a managing director. Uh, you know, at that time, the organization was, you know, growing rapidly. Uh, we were seeing like success and lots of opportunities. And it, it was pretty clear to me when I came into the organization that my job was to help put support systems and support structures around, around this growth. Um, you know, thinking about like uh, financial management and financial systems, uh, you know, collections management, uh, HR, all of the, all of the things that like a, you know a young food hub or a young organization uh, needs to to focus and think about was where I really was where I really leaned in, and uh, you know that was great because I I wasn't coming from a background in 
uh, food or farming. I, I grew up around it in uh, northeastern Wisconsin, but it, it wasn't what I went to school for, and it wasn't what I what I had studied. I was, um, you know, before before Farm Fresh, I was working more in the arts and cultural sector. I'd been working uh, at the state of uh, state of Maryland as a program director for the Maryland State Arts Council, and I was very engaged in community development and. Uh, when I moved up to Rhode Island, the opportunity at Farm Fresh was just uh, too good to pass up because I've had a, a, an immense interest in food and farming since I was a child. Uh, you know, my, my mother and my grandmother were both uh, lunch ladies at the at the local school where uh, I went to, uh, yeah. and uh, I, I probably spent more time in a commercial kitchen as a kid than than most people have the opportunity uh, to do, uh, which. You know, I'm. It, it's safe enough now to share that because you know my mom no longer works there. But perfect, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Farm Fresh really, uh, at that point, provided me an opportunity to both, uh, you know, lend my skills that I had developed to that point in my career and uh, help to make an impact in terms of organizational development and growth. But then it also gave me an opportunity to learn more about, uh, you know, food systems development mm-hmm. and. Um, at that point in 2012, our, our Markamobile program was really taking off. Uh, we were gaining a lot of momentum. There were more people that wanted to order from us. Uh, you know, I joined the organization right as we were uh, launching something that was called VeggieBox. Uh, it was a worksite delivery program uh, you know, focused on individuals. It was meant to introduce them to a weekly subscription of local foods. Uh, that, that program has come and gone now, but it, uh, it was a big part of what we did and a big part of our growth story. Um, and you know, it's, it's just been, a it's been such a fantastic opportunity to, to see this organization that's just centered around, uh, good work and good ideas grow and grow into what it is today. Um, you know, when I, when I was joining the organization, uh, Farm Fresh had already started the process of looking for a permanent home. Um, we started out in the basement of the environmental studies building at Brown and then after a couple other temporary spots, uh, found office, market, and warehouse space and a renovated mill building in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Um, but all of the spaces combined that we were using, uh, you know, I think one of the things that jumped out to me was, you know, just the immense amount of rent that we were paying each year. At that point, it was, you know, over $100,000 in rent. And um, mm-hmm. it, was, it was an opportunity where... Uh, the board of directors, you know, even back then was having conversations about uh, what it would look like for Farm Fresh to have a permanent space. And there had been a lot of exploratory conversations about what that could look like, but but nothing concrete. So uh, after... So that became a pretty big project yeah, for that, you, right? I would assume when you jumped in. Yeah, it. there were a couple of years before that project really took, took off. I... Mm-hmm. I joined the organization in 2012, and I would say we really started in in earnest on that, like getting serious about finding a finding a new space in 2015, 2016. Okay. So before we jump into that, I I want to get an idea of scale here. So, how many farmers markets do you run? Uh, we run ten farmers markets ten. ourselves. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then there's uh, other markets. There's about uh, 25 other markets that we provide the uh, like the the infrastructure in terms of 
uh, either processing or the the tokens that are that are used uh, to do to do the credit cards and uh, SNAP processing. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so you're doing that on behalf of other farmers markets that you don't run. That's cool. Yep. and they're all over the state. Yep, uh, all over the state of Rhode Island. We're a small state, but we've got a lot of farmers markets, a lot uh-huh. of different opportunities where uh, farmers are getting out and. Uh, interacting with individuals and selling direct to consumers. Uh, because of the cost of land in Rhode Island, uh, farming is very expensive. Mm-hmm. And for uh, many, many decades, like, uh, you know, direct to consumer was probably the most viable path for, mm-hmm. for farmers here, uh, whether that was uh, farm stands, CSAs, uh, farmers markets. There was a, a, a real need to interact with, I think, uh, individuals in a way that uh, farm farmers in other states may not have to just because of the uh, the geography and some of the other uh, some of the other challenges of being you know ag- focusing on agriculture in the smallest state right and you're and it, it's a pretty urban state too isn't it oh definitely I mean yeah. uh, New England is about the same landmass as the state of California and uh, Southern New England, uh, you know, kind of the, you know, if you think in terms of like a mega region from like Boston down, uh, down into parts of uh, Rhode Island, I mean, uh, Providence, Cranston, Pawtucket, basically, you know, half of the state of Rhode Island is uh, densely populated. So while there's a ton of farmland up in Maine and, uh, you know, great farms in New Hampshire and Vermont, uh, we have in the region, like, you know, a density of, of eaters in the southern part of southern part of the uh, region. So, you know, thinking about Food Solutions New England's work and kind of this, you know, 50 by 60 or 30 by 30 vision, uh, organizations like Farm Fresh and other folks that are talking about local and regional, uh, if we're working in the southern part of New England, really have a, a big chance to make a big impact. Yeah, no, you can create markets for parts of New England where there just aren't a lot of people, right? Northern Maine, there's not a lot of people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. So so your farms, you said um, the, the um, market mobile or mobile market program is 115 farms. Are they all in Rhode Island or do you bring in product from around New England now? Yeah, we work with farms in uh, all of the New England states. Um, we have a density of growers that we work with who are, you know, based in Rhode Island, southeastern Massachusetts, uh, eastern Connecticut. Uh, that's where I, I would say the bulk of our of our growers are located. Uh, but we also work with uh, other food hubs and other uh, other distributors around the region to kind of bring some of the best of the region uh, down into Rhode Island as well. So uh, there's, there's certain things that just Rhode Island and uh, this part of the country, you know, will just never grow in a way that makes sense. So right. uh, we talk to people in Maine and bring in uh, oats and beans and grains. Uh, there's a lot of great work with grains going on in uh, central Massachusetts right now as well. So just really trying to uh, identify, like, what are the things that people are excited about? Uh, what are some of the things that are being grown elsewhere that might be grown in a way that have, uh, you know, positive environmental impact? You know, being able to tell the story of that to uh, mm-hmm. folks that want to be sourcing responsibly. I, I feel like that's a, a big part of our work, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, and just the overall connecting consumers with with not just the stories for a marketing 
you know, it isn't just because of marketing we need to tell them those stories. It's because of everything going on around us, right? Like having an impact through how they spend their money is so important. Oh, completely. I mean, the idea of a, you know, a New England as a as a resilient food system where we're growing more of the things that we're uh, eating here and depending less on other regions, you know, I, I think uh, – that's that's the work. I mean, that's that's the work that we're trying to do, and that's the you know, in the face of climate change, just what can we do as a region to be uh, you know self reliant and be able to you know feed everyone that's here and and figure out systems that work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So all right. So you you're working with a lot of farmers markets. That that do you have any idea how many people touch one of the farmers markets you work with in a year? Like roughly. Is that like millions or, you know what I mean? Yeah, our, our wintertime farmer's market runs from uh, November through May. And mm-hmm. that market uh, before COVID was easily, uh, you know, three to 4,000 people coming through that market on a Saturday. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm not going to do the math, but like that times, you know, 26 weeks. And, you know, yeah. that's, that's one of the markets. And then there's, uh, some of the summer markets definitely have really great attendance as well. Um, a few of our markets are, uh, I would say, less less attended, but strategically placed in neighborhoods that uh, they're serving more as access points for fresh food, where uh, that's harder to that's harder to find. Sure, sure. And and well, the other thing that's interesting about your story to me. Um, well, there are a lot of interesting things, but, but the, the fact that you developed this software for, um, you know, that underlies what you do, that I would imagine that has enabled you to scale in a way that would not have been possible without it. Oh, it, it is one of the, uh, I think one of the gifts of, of FarmFresh is that that tool being developed in-house, uh, you know, just gave us the opportunity to uh, be exploring other things, to be, you know, making a, making an impact with other funding that we had available. Uh, yes. It is, it, <laughs> we, we joke because we're still, um, we're in the process of redeveloping that platform right now. And, uh, uh, you know, it, the, we're still, we're still using it. Uh, we're still using the original, original platform that was developed. And we've had, I think through last week we've had over twenty-five million dollars worth of commerce that's come through that come through that wow. system. That's so, amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and um, and your farmers. So you work with um, farmers from the region, and are are you moving product to the farmers markets, or what are you doing there? Or is that part of what you do? Yeah, uh, with Markamobile we. Uh, we have uh, two different order cycles where, you know, uh, we've, we've worked primarily with wholesale uh, up, until, up until 2020. And wholesale orders had, you know, like two main, two main order cycles where they could go online, see what was available, uh, order what they wanted. And then uh, most of the time, farms are dropping off at our central, our central warehouse. So, uh, farms receive the orders, everything, uh, the, the system spits out automatically to them, like what needs to be delivered in what quantity and to which customer. So they'll make a drop at our warehouse. We'll check in everything for, uh, for quality and accuracy. 
And then, then we start the process of, uh, you know, aggregation and distribution. So folding that farm's order with, you know, up to, you know, however many other farms or food, food businesses were included in that order, like starting to pack those orders for customers. Mm -hmm. Uh, so then we, we get out and do those deliveries on behalf of the farms. Uh, we're the ones that are doing the, you know, payables and receivables. Uh, we're paying, uh, any, any farm that works on Markimobile or in our farmer's markets, uh, are paid, uh, on two week cycles. So that's, uh, Mm, nice. Yeah, it's it's definitely a it's definitely a cash flow uh, <laughs> cash flow challenge for the organization. Challenge for you, yeah. yeah. Good for the farmers, though. Yeah, because you know in the summer we're alternating, you know, one week with another week, where one week is a Markimobile uh, payout, which you know in some weeks can be you know upwards of one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand dollars, and then the following week, uh, depending on how many tokens were redeemed at the farmers markets. You know those mm-hmm. checks are going out, so it's very much a very much a balance of those two uh, kind of like cash in cash out uh, activities. But uh, so we do payables and receivables, and kind of like the back end bookkeeping, and you know tracking down people that haven't paid on their terms. All of the mm-hmm. all of really the unglorious work that frankly gives uh, farmers and folks that are running food businesses more time to to focus in on like. Uh, focusing on their craft, and mm-hmm. you know that's that's been a, a role that I think we've really done a good job with. That's yeah. amazing. So, what is your budget now for the whole organization? Yeah, for the whole organization, our our annual budget for this year uh, was approved at uh, four point two million dollars for the year, uh-huh. uh, which you know going back uh, maybe. I would say five years, we were more uh, in like a $2 million category. Yeah. So in a, in a relatively short amount of time, we've, uh, we've dramatically increased our budget. Uh, yeah. Part of that has to do with the building project. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of that is also just the story of Farm Fresh growing as, a, as an organization as well. Right, right. And, and, um, and there's a lot of philanthropic support. You're a nonprofit, right? I should guess yep. it. Yeah. So, and, and so you've get, you've got a combination of program revenue and philanthropic money, right? Funding you. Yeah. Be, before we received, uh, the USDA, uh, Gus Nip award, uh, mm-hmm. which was almost four years ago, uh, our, our trends were pretty clear. We were at about 60% earned income to 40% philanthropic support. And the, uh, the size of that that award skewed it closer to uh, you know more like more fifty fifty, okay. uh, but we we rely we rely a lot on on earned income. I mean, we view a couple of our programs very much as uh, social enterprise activities, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like nested in a nonprofit structure. Right. Well, it is. I, it's such a good topic because um, um, a lot of hubs are trying to trying to you know, strike a balance. Some of them are set up as for-profit and some a non-profit, but then they have these functions in them that really need government support or some kind of philanthropic support to make it work. And so you end up with these sort of hybrids and um, 60-40 is pretty high. I mean, in my experience, looking at people, even 50-50 is pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So, um, what happened during COVID, and then we're going to do your building. <laughs> yeah, I got to ask what happened during COVID. 
Well, uh, there were a there were a group of Farm Fresh staff who, you know, as uh, I should just say, we were we were all at the National Good Food Network conference. Uh, oh, con- you were at the one that I I at the last minute decided I wasn't going to go to. <laughs> exactly, yeah. and we we were all trying to understand like, should we go to this? Should we not? And uh-huh. it, that that conference has just been such a good touch point for colleagues around the nation, and uh, I know. Ooh, it's heartbreaking to not go. Yeah, we yeah. and we we had like two new uh, two new managers that you know I, I try to as new people join the organization. It's really great to be able to go to that conference to see. Mm-hmm. I think to see your work in the context of what's going on in the in the country is really important. Mm-hmm. So, all that to say, we we were in New Orleans uh, as the whole world started to close. And uh, we were sitting around one of the one of the tables in the in the banquet hall, and uh, that's when we started to get messages from our institutional customers. Uh, you know, a couple of the main universities that we work with sent over a, a note just saying like, "Hey, we're we're closing down. We're sending kids home." You know, and at at that point of the year in March, that was. Um, those were some of our like anchor sales uh, yeah. that kind of solidified truck routes and made everything uh, made everything make sense. And I think we we realized that we had uh, in that moment. I don't think we realized the magnitude of what was about to happen. And you know, understanding that you know restaurants were going to start closing and just the uh, I, I think like the impending crisis. And we uh, we really quickly within the span of the week, um, made the call to open up our wholesale platform, uh, you know, warts and all it's like I said before, it's 10 years old. It's not, mm-hmm. uh, not the easiest to use. And we opened that up to, uh, home delivery. We came up with a, mm-hmm. a set of delivery rules that made sense. Uh, we tried to be as clear as possible about the fact that, you know, a lot of people coming onto that system for the first time, we're still going to seize things in wholesale quantities um, and we also tried to encourage people to, you know, order as a group, uh, to, you know, form, mm-hmm. form small buy-in clubs. So we wouldn't necessarily be out doing like, uh, a lot of different stops in the same neighborhood. If they could help us centralize that, that was a, that was a way that we thought might be able to help us, um, get out and do this work, but also do it in a way where we could, we could handle it. And, mm-hmm. and, oh my gosh, that, uh, that first week, I mean, we were going from, uh, you know, our wholesale work was seen, you know, maybe at that time of year, uh, 150 to 200 orders a week. And all of a sudden we're seeing 2000 orders a week. And wow. yeah. And that was a, that was a moment where, <laughs> you know, th- this was also a time when we, uh, at farm fresh, uh, our program director for the market mobile program had, uh, left the organization, uh, you know, maybe six months prior and we were in the process of really reevaluating like what what the market mobile program was mm-hmm. what it was going to be and how it was going to do things and uh, that, that just as background to say we we entered into this time without uh, you know without a leader for that program yeah and, oh my yeah and that was I, I think understanding, you know, all of the rules that had to be put in place with COVID uh, and how that evolved, like day to day, week to week. I I found myself uh, I'd been, you know, serving a lot of the functions of the program director until we were, you know, figuring out what was next. And I 
I kind of had to jump in with both feet and just be, uh, you know, be there um, mm-hmm. all the time. You know, move my move my office from our desk into the warehouse. Right. Uh, started working with our our team on a weekly basis about you know systems improvements, things that we could do to pack different. Uh, trying to understand the unique problems that were coming up with our with our ordering system, uh, and really, you know, we. We relied on a lot of people in the organization to jump in and help because the the size of the orders that we were seeing really meant that we were going from you know packing maybe four to five hours a day to some days like packing packing orders twelve to fourteen hours a day. Wow! So we were we saw a lot of like uh, shifts in uh, how people were working, uh, the hours that they were working. Um, Luckily, we were able to uh, bring back our, our program director uh, in a distance capacity to help with like training and onboarding. So we were, we were able to call in some help. Uh, mm-hmm. Other members of our senior staff were, you know, jumping into, uh, you know, I'm thinking of uh, like uh, Thea, who's our, uh, our program and operations director now, like jumping in and writing a COVID manual from scratch, trying to keep it updated, trying to understand what you do when people need to uh, quarantine and isolate, uh, just mm-hmm. all of, all of those things just, uh, you know, also in the face of what seemed like, you know, doubling, doubling or tripling your order sizes on a, on a given week. I, I remember one week in particular, we had up until that point, I think our largest order day had been, you know, $60,000 of, of food that we had delivered in one day. And I remember so clearly when our uh, sales director was like, we have a $90,000 day. And it was, I was like, oh, okay, we can do this. And we did it. And it, um, it, it was really impressive. The people, the people who work here and showed up every day, the people who were coming in even during COVID to volunteer and give their time uh, made, made all of that possible to keep doing what we were doing on behalf of the farms that we work with. And it also provided an opportunity for us to get food out, uh, to communities and neighborhoods that, uh, you know, at that point in Rhode Island, people were sheltering in place. And we were, our, our farmer's market and our market mobile program were uh, deemed by the state essential services, so we were able to keep operating. But I'll, I'll never forget the days of like, you know, I, I, at that point I started biking into work just as a stress management tool. And um, I remember yeah. like, there, would, there would be weeks when I would be driving through downtown Providence on my bike and I wouldn't see a soul. Oh and, man! And it was it was just one of those one of those moments of like this is such a strange time, but I feel like our group of people that were doing the work just felt uh, really motivated and like we were doing important work. Yeah, and, um, and you were. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I I would just say like uh, you know the the work that came up with the home delivery was part of the COVID story, and then. Uh, I think the, the federal government introducing the farmer to family food box program was another big chapter in this yeah, story as well. Yeah. You know, we, uh, we worked with a, a group from Rhode Island that included the food policy council, uh, the department of environment and management and some other partners to, to quickly identify like, uh, the structure and framework of, a of an application that could be approved so that, Farm Fresh could be working on behalf of farmers in the state to be getting uh, food into those boxes that would then be going out to uh, hunger relief organizations. Right. And you know, we were, I think, 
one of one of many entities in the state that was packing those boxes, but I think ours were unique in that we were uh, sourcing as much of it as as possible from local and regional farms. Uh, starting it in June, we we didn't have like the the bulk of the season that was in yet. Uh, so it was it was great. We were actually able to you know connect with other food hubs, uh, worked with Red Tomato, worked with some groups in the Eastern Seaboard to source some things that were from a little further away, but that still you know kind of maintained that set of values that we were looking for. Mm-hmm. And, and we were you know we weren't we weren't packing uh, we weren't packing a ton of them a week, but we we eventually got up to packing a thousand a week. And I think if you saw the space that we were working out of then. Uh, you'd understand that it was it, it was hard for us to actually pack more uh, because we we had a lot of limitations in terms of just our our physical layout. But uh, it was it was an opportunity that I, we really tried to take advantage of because it it just meant a lot for folks who needed access to good food, and it also was an opportunity for us to um, just another opportunity to feel like we we're making a big impact. And and in that process, I mean we. Uh, we onboarded about 12 new employees. Uh, we were, you know, just kind of growing, growing dramatically through that. Yeah, um, it's crazy, crazy yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. And now, I, how much of this business have you kept and how much has sort of eroded now that, well, now we've got Delta and who knows, but that, you know what yeah. I mean, that COVID kind of subsided, how much of that new business subsided and how much did you keep? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. With the with the food box uh, in September of 2020, uh, we saw that uh, the rules of the contract change, and the the box that we were we were packing was really wasn't competitive anymore from uh, from right. a price price happened. perspective. Yeah, uh, the with with the way the the former administration uh, changed the rules on that, it it made it. Uh, we, we, we got the boot out of that program, essentially. Yeah, yeah and, you and a lot of other people did. Yeah, and I, mm-hmm. I, I definitely have a lot of feelings about that, but that's a whole other podcast. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the, the silver lining from that was that we had um, we'd really developed a, a solid and trusting working relationship with the Rhode Island Community Food Bank. Mm-hmm. And they came up with a really uh, innovative approach to continue that work of connecting local farmers with hunger relief organizations, uh, you know, within their network. And at that point, we started uh, we started working directly with those organizations, and they were able to order from us uh, the products that they wanted. It wasn't prescriptive. It wasn't like here's this box. It it became see, a yeah. it became a much more. Uh, Open, open working relationship, and the food bank was providing, you know, a bank of a bank of funding for those right. uh, entities to draw down from to, to purchase local from, mm-hmm. and we did a pilot of that uh, in you know winter into spring of 2021, and uh, then we we launched the the you know more the full size version of that work or like really launched that work uh, this July, and that's been going. Amazing. Uh, we're working with over uh, 35 different organizations throughout the state. Wow! Uh, you know, out there uh, delivering delivering food into uh, hunger relief settings. You know, on the same route that we're dropping stuff off at restaurants and doing mm-hmm. home deliveries on, and it's it's all making sense. It's it's very much been divided up into like those main categories. We have uh, we're seeing wholesale come back in a really major way this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
we've got a lot of restaurants and colleges and hospitals and, and other folks who are ordering wholesale in a major way. Um, our home delivery work has uh, definitely slowed down, but I think the interesting thing that I'm seeing is that uh, even though the total number of orders has gone down, the total value of those orders has gone up, which uh, is is good for the efficiency of our trucks when we're getting out and doing those deliveries. And I think it's, it's also shown that there's uh, a group of people that have probably always wanted this service from Farm Fresh and are now really, uh, really committed to it. So it's interesting that you say that because I hear that from a lot of different organizations around the country, that that same phenomenon that the number of orders has gone down, but the size has gone up. It's like it's like we found a committed customer base, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, that I I was really nervous coming into 2021. I, I thought for sure, like, as, you know, as everything opened up, as more people were getting vaccinated, that, uh, you know, that that home, home delivery work was just going to uh, fade away. And that mm-hmm. that hasn't been the case. And I maybe that's also just where we're at in this current cycle with the pandemic and, uh, you know, maybe not knowing what the fall and the winter is going to hold as well. Um, but, yeah, I... I think it's been, you know, if you look on our social media or see people who share stories about like what they've been cooking, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of excitement and pride about being able to, you know, source a box of local things and then make really great food at home with it as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And some of us learned how to cook things we didn't know how to cook before <laughs> too. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, well, that's cool. All right. So so your business is it, on average, it's grown a lot. It sounds like, um, and and has lots of diverse ways of making an impact. So now we get to talk about your building. So you had been, I think, you and I met when you were in the, I mean, in the throes of raising the money for the building. Right, you had it all designed, and I'm trying to remember when that might have been four or five years ago, something like that. I guess, right? Yeah, I think. Yeah, being or able to. Maybe. 2018? Is that Probably. Sound right? It sounds right. Yeah. 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 Had the opportunity to attend one of your uh, boot camps in, in Austin. Yeah. I, th- I think that was. Yeah. That was such a that was such a great training opportunity for me. And it was, you know, we had been uh, my colleagues and I had been out doing the, you know, the, the farm fresh road show, so to speak of like getting out and talking to people and really, you know, exploring this idea for a long time. But, uh, yeah, in maybe, maybe even just to back up, I, before we were, I was sharing that, you know, our, our board of directors had been, you know, trying to identify like, what's, what's the future home of farm fresh. And, uh, there had been some, some efforts to, to explore that, but but nothing concrete. Um, we had a, a a woman on our board uh, named Lucy Searle. Uh, Lucy was uh, uh, grew up on a farm in Exeter, Rhode Island. Uh, I think you know had uh, she could tell you all about uh, strawberry growing in Rhode Island with with deep and encyclopedic knowledge. And uh, uh, Lucy was also a, a really socially minded and conscious developer who had done. Uh, other real estate projects uh, throughout the state of Rhode Island, in particular uh, an arts organization in downtown Providence called AS220. And uh, 
FarmFresh had a lot of connections to AS220 in the early years. That was where my co-director Sherry had worked before uh, before joining FarmFresh as well. And um, and that was actually where our first <laughs> it was where our first winter market was was in a gallery space at at AS222. Hmm. And um, Lucy uh, started to work with Sherry and I uh, as co-directors to really to really explore what it would mean for us to do this. And you know we're talking uh, identifying a site, doing due diligence, uh, pre-development planning, um, thinking about all of the, all of that stuff. Like, what would our business model look like? How would we structure right. this that in a way that we could actually do it and sustain it for the long term? Mm-hmm. And uh, Lucy's Lucy's track record at AS220 was very much uh, it was a space that um, you know market rate uh, market rate first floor. Uh, retail um, and service industry uh, for AS220 was really subsidizing the mission-driven work of that organization, which was focused on, you know, artists live workspaces, gallery spaces, places for makers. Mm-hmm. So AS220 redeveloped, you know, uh, two or three blocks of downtown Providence, but did it in a way that uh, really preserved uh, some of the local businesses that were already in those buildings were able to stay there. And that model of, you know, a nonprofit working as a developer with, uh, with community in mind, but also like a specific business development in mind, really, um, really was a good model and something that Lucy brought to FarmFresh as an idea. And yeah. the the way that that idea unfolded was that you know we we really needed we needed a couple things out of a new space. Uh, we needed. You know, our staff was growing, so we needed bigger office space. Um, but our warehouse and our work that we were doing in our coolers was also growing pretty, pretty tremendously as well. Um, so we were, you know, we really needed uh, bigger coolers. And uh, one of our biggest impediments in our old space in the old mill building was uh, the um, really antiquated loading docks that we were working out of. They were. Uh, there weren't enough of them and they were very old and a couple of them were very unsafe. So, you know, we knew that, we knew that those were, those were some key components of what we were looking for in a new space. Um, we also wanted to bring the winter farmer's market that we had been, uh, holding at that same mill building to our new location as well. And, uh, you know, in the, in the old building that we were at, that, uh, that market took up 16,000 square feet of space. Uh, you know, we'd have uh, 70 vendors that would be in those hallways. And, wow, uh, that's a big market. It's it's a gigantic market. It's um it's funny. I uh, one of the second dates I had with my uh, with my now wife Emily, uh, I was coming up to Rhode Island to uh, to hang out with her because she was going to the Rhode Island School of Design, and she took me to uh, the Farm Fresh Winter Market, and it was it was very much one of those like, hey, look, there's really cool things here. You should move up here. so we we look back and laugh on that now i bet you do isn't that funny but there is a thing this is probably another podcast but there's a thing about local food and economic development right and as a platform attracting young people to a community anyway completely yeah yeah and so it's our new building needed to accommodate a market space uh, it needed to accommodate all the other things that we were talking about, and then also uh, we want to we wanted to expand our our kitchen to do more processing with our with our harvest kitchen program as well. 
And the way that uh, Lucy approached that with Sherry and I and our board of directors was really framing it in a way where, um, you know, how impactful could this be if we were uh, reaching out to food and farm related businesses, uh, not anyone that was a startup or uh, needed any, you know, incubation or business development services, because that's that's not what we do as an organization. There's mm -hmm. a couple other really fantastic organizations, both in Rhode Island uh, and uh, and in Boston, that are doing that in in a way that you know anything that we'd be doing was really an overlap of services. But instead, saying like, who are the who are these growing food and farm related businesses that are looking for step outs step up space? Mm -hmm you know, that, that next phase of growth. And, uh, that, that was who we focused on. Uh, those were the, those were the businesses that we started doing outreach to and starting speaking with. And, you know, at, at that time it was very much, a, a really bright, shiny idea, but I think a lot of people were, you know, is this really going to happen? Can you, you know, can you deliver right, on this? Right, right. Will this actually, you know, great to sit down and talk about my future plans three years from now, but like, what's this actually going to look like? Right. And uh, we were able, you know, over that time period to just, you know, keep putting one foot in front of the other, uh, you know, meeting, meeting funders, talking to people, talking to, uh, you know, both the city and the state and, and other folks about why this idea was important and started to build uh, a really strong head of steam in terms of uh, not only funding, but like gaining momentum around around this idea that we had, we had come up with. And um, like, so, what was your elevator speech for your idea? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, what was it? What were you outselling people? I mean, we were out uh, we were outselling people the idea of uh, a hub where. Farm Fresh could grow as an organization and we could keep doing our mission-driven work, but also as a place where a density of other, other businesses that were focused on farming and food could come together. And mm -hmm. it's very much a, like a cluster of economic activity that uh, could really bolster the, you know, the regional, regional food system, but also really have a big impact on those businesses. Uh, so, so that's like an economic development pitch because I'm trying to, because you raised, how much money did you raise for this? We raised uh, over $16 million for yeah, this. Yeah, so it's a huge, uh, relatively speaking, huge amount of money you raised. And, and you got money from public sources, which says to me that there must have been, you must have been successful in communicating the economic development dimension to this. So that's yeah. why I've been asking these questions, right? Totally. It and it I would say oftentimes the the particular elevator pitch that we were giving was tailored to the audience that we were giving uh -huh. it to. Yeah. Um, if that was the, you know, the Rhode Island uh, Commerce Department, that that was a really heavy economic development angle. If that was a, you know, an individual donor who cared about Farm Fresh's work, we were talking more about you know, the story of Farm Fresh growing into our new home and our next phase of growth. Um, you know, I think, uh, I think the different types of funding that we were able to attract to support this project really spoke not only to the, um, to the economic development angle of this for, uh, for Rhode Island, but also spoke to 
Uh, you know, in many ways, I think some of the things we were talking about before, the climate resiliency aspect of our work, the, uh, uh, you know, I, I kept going back to this idea of like local food infrastructure. You know, we, we talk a lot about how uh, one, of the, one of the things that happened in New England is that the infrastructure that was needed to make a local food system possible went away. You know, those, uh, those small, small spaces, the, the public markets, the things that um, with industry consolidation, you just started to see, see disappear. Um, I think, you know, farmers in, uh, farmers in New England probably have a different take on that when you talk about, like, um, equipment and repairs and, you know, like what it means to be a small farmer that has to be dependent on services as well. And I think uh, I've always viewed Farm Fresh as uh, one of the tools in their toolkit, right? Like we are right. a service that can help them access new markets. We can help them grow their sales we can help them reach new spaces that they might not be able to get into themselves. I'm, I guess, saying that thinking about like food service management companies and some of the institutional work that we're do, that we're doing. You know, those are those are all things that Farm Fresh can really um, play a big role on. And I think, uh, you know, as a nonprofit, the the social aspect of our mission, the the work that we're doing around food access, the work that we're doing around job training, the work that we're doing around incentivizing, you know, federal nutrition benefits, you know, all of that work really stitches together in a way that tells a complete story of a food mm -hmm. system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think one of the interesting things to me about this is the fact that uh, it, uh, around the country, all of all of the programs that you're describing, in a lot of places, they're broken up into multiple entities. You know, like one one entity is kind of doing your market mobile thing, and maybe another one is doing the I, I don't know processing kitchen or something. And and it means that they're all small, right? All, they can't get scale to the organization and they don't have that knitting together of the mission that you guys have. It just seems like there's something very powerful in the fact that you have this range of programs that you do. I, I think that's, that is the coolest part of Farm Fresh's story. And I think the intentionality of uh, you know, Luella, Noah, Sherry, uh, all the folks who had a hand in like putting this together at the onset, uh, mm -hmm. you know, part of, part of this is Rhode Island. Part of this is the, right. The, You're in this tiny little state. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's the story of being small, but it's also, mm -hmm. uh, it, it's also the opportunity that, you know, I, I think a lot of Rhode Islanders have the sentiment of like, we're small, we should be able to figure this out. You know, like, <laughs> you know, you can drive across the state in an hour. Like if anyone can figure out local food, it should be Rhode Island. We should be able to do this. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that there's not, you know, barriers in the way or relational aspects or, you know, all the things that you see in other, other municipalities or, or other states. But uh, I, I know in particular, you know, Farm Fresh has had the, uh, we, we've been part of like the Wallace Center Study Hub group and other other groups that are looking at food hubs, and I've I've spent a lot of time on the phone with other groups from around the country. Uh, we get a, we still get a lot of calls like, "How are you doing this? How does this work?" Uh, there was there was definitely a period of time where um, it felt like every municipality in the country was like, "We need a food hub." Yeah, everybody did think they needed one. Yeah, and it was yeah. it, it was really hard to explain sometimes the complexity of Farm Fresh's story. 
yeah. and say like, you may think that you only need a part of this, but in reality, you're probably going to understand that some of these other things that all come together, like they all support each other in a way that at least for our organization makes a lot of sense. And, um, I think and I think it, it makes a lot of sense for a lot of organizations is, I guess, what I'm saying, right? Rather than have four different yeah. entities who are all under-resourced and don't have enough management staff because they can't afford it. And you know what I mean? Like, it, it just doesn't, yeah. it's too hard to get critical mass in them when they're, when they're broken up like that um, in a lot of instances, I would say. So, yeah, kudos to you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So, okay. So let's talk a bit about sources of money. So, um, you know, when I did Tara's Way, I would, people would say, well, how did you raise your, where did you get your money? And I said, from everyone. And now <laughs> that I hear yours, I'm like, yeah, mine was only a subset of you. You really were everyone. So. <laughs> we, we left no stone unturned. You and didn't. It, yeah. Yeah. So tell, tell us what you did. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I'll just say, like, I'm, I'm having the privilege of sharing, uh, sharing the story on behalf of our, of our development team, which uh, included, you know, Lucy, my co-director, Sherry, uh, our uh, board co-chair at the time, uh, Maureen Pothier, uh, and some other, uh, some other invested individuals who uh, really were invested in the, in the success of Farm Fresh. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we... We started out in um, trying to, you know, in in January of 2016, we were we were getting really serious about this, and we had the opportunity to come uh, to come see the site where Farm Fresh is now located. Uh, we were we were meeting with a, another group that uh, was interested in a in a building, and they were they were looking at putting a brewery in that building, and. Uh, Three days after we had had that initial conversation about the idea of being in a building with them, uh, the building burned down. Oh there my was, God! Yeah, it was a it was an old historic mill structure uh, oh. adjacent to the Winnesquatucket River in Rhode Island, um, in Providence, and uh, it, uh, it it was a fire that you could see from around around Providence. I lived mm-hmm. on at that time the east side of Providence and. It was that day, and I can remember it. And I'm like, "What is that gigantic pillar of smoke that's going up into the air?" Oh, no. I know it's our building. Oh, no. <laughs> well, for the for the group that was looking at the building, it was it was extremely unfortunate because they had they had everything lined up and they were ready to go. Right. And uh, the cause of the fire became a, a bit of a concern uh, from the insurance companies, and they. Uh, they needed to. They needed to pursue another location. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, we we persisted with with the space because we thought it was the right spot for Farm Fresh. It's uh, we're located in a in an area of Providence where uh, there's a river that that runs through downtown Providence. Uh, we're we're just down the road from downtown. Uh, we're uh, on the way to uh, a neighborhood uh, called Onlyville, uh, there's a lot of people that live uh, live around this area. Um, it's uh, uh, definitely um, definitely a lot of density and a lot of opportunities for people to come to this space and, and interact with local food. And um, we kept with it. We kept with that site. Uh, 
there's a couple of other really uh, real anchor organizations. I'm thinking of the Steelyard, uh, which does industrial arts education, and uh, Waterfire, which is uh, both a public art event, but also uh, an art center that's just across the river from us. Mm-hmm. Um, and we felt that the story of these three organizations being in the same neighborhood in Providence really uh, really told a good story about, uh, about what, what this neighborhood signifies, which uh, in addition to those organizations, there's also a lot of space for uh, artists and makers down here as well. And I think uh, the more we thought about that, the more it made sense that our building was a place where we saw things being made. Um, mm-hmm. We run our market one day out of the week, but it's not a it's not a seven day a week public market. Uh, Rhode mm-hmm. Island just doesn't have the density uh, to support that. So uh, our vision for this building was that during the week, this is a place where things are made, where people come to work, where uh, connections happen, and. Uh, everyone that's uh, joining us now in the space has some retail component to their work, but they're all very much focused in uh, in production and making things. So that that from a neighborhood perspective felt felt real to us and felt like something that we could build off of. Um, we were able to uh, purchase the site uh, in May of 2017. Uh, we were then, you know, able to start working on uh, design, fundraising, uh, start working on, you know, really uh, identifying who those uh, renters or co-locators were going to be. And uh, because of the fact that this was a, um, I mean, so much of Providence is like a post-industrial, uh, post-industrial site. So right. uh, we had some uh, some real concerns about like what was underground here and. Uh, uh, it, uh, the site that we're on is a brownfield. There was environmental remediation that needed to happen. Um, the building that was, uh, that was here, um, you know, Lucy in her experience and work, uh, just was such a champion for historic preservation. And, uh, you know, there was, there was nothing from the building that could be saved. Uh, we've, we um. pulled, we pulled out like, uh, beams and lentils and, uh, other things that we've incorporated around uh, around the uh, around the building, but like the actual structure itself was was just ruined. So the the building that was here needed to be removed. The site needed to be cleaned, uh, and then we started to do some of our uh, uh, drilling, uh, some of the test sites or the test pits for the environmental work. And one of the one of the strangest things that happened when we started that work was that. Um, you know, as the drills were pulling stuff up, uh, we started to see a lot of um, a lot of white stone coming up out of the ground, and uh, you know, eventually realized that this was marble. That marble was coming up out of the ground. Oh my site. goodness! And and then uh, after you know uh, a couple folks uh, pitching in and doing some historical research, came to understand that this was the this was the cutting site for the marble that went into the State House of Rhode Island. Wow. So you found marble, and then, and but you had to demolish the whole building, which is so sad, right? These, his, yeah. I, I, I'm just imagining a big old red brick mill building or something like that, you know? Yeah, it it was it was one of those one of those historic structures, and uh, it was the sort of thing when we walked through the site after the fire, there was a you know, like a boat that had been stored in the building and the boat was like completely melted down over oh the trailer my. that it was on. It was, it, it, it felt it was, like something from a, you know, a post-apocalyptic movie. Right. And, and uh, 
what we what happened then was that we started to get out and to tell the story about Farm Fresh and about what we were going to do on the site. Mm-hmm. And at, at that point, uh, there were still a lot of the details to work out. But at that point, we felt really good about this idea of, you know, essentially a third of the a third of the building being dedicated to the market space. Um, you know, Farm Fresh's footprint. Uh, you know what we needed to do to to grow into some new spaces. And then also, you know, what were the needs of the food and farm-related businesses that we were working with, and what did what did that need to look like in the building as well? And that really served as the basis for how we were able to start talking about the project, mm-hmm. uh, start approaching people about, um, you know, different different elements of like how we could go about this work. Mm-hmm. Uh, we for the project and the funding sources, uh, we have, you know. Uh, Five main five main sources that that contributed to that uh, number. That's over fifteen million dollars. We have, you know, the public sources, the government funding that came in. Uh, we have, you know, foundation. Was that state government or city or both? Yeah, that uh, that is both. Uh, we okay. received support both from the city of Providence and from uh, a wide variety of state sources as well. Okay. Um, out of the $15 million uh, for the project, uh, almost two and a half of that came from public sources. So wow. the Department of Environment and Management uh, really played a big role in the, um, uh, the brownfield remediation. So sure. we, were, we were able to get support both for a planning grant around how to clean up the site and then also implementation funding uh, to, to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, we received uh, support to uh, do the stormwater management uh, that we wanted to do on the site uh, mm-hmm. through both the Department of Transportation and Environment and Management. Uh, we're located a block away from uh, the Winascotucket River. And uh, knowing what we wanted to do with our project, we, uh, and you know, bearing in mind that we were you know, born out of the Environmental Studies Department at Brown, right. <laughs> You know, we we knew that we wanted to be uh, environmental stewards for the river and for the surrounding area. So we, uh, the engineers that were working on the project and the architects came up with a system that's able to uh, handle all of our stormwater and runoff uh, on site. So none of that actually goes into the river. Wow. Uh, Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. Underneath our parking lot, we've got a series of gigantic tanks that... uh, that holds the holds the water as it's coming through. We've got collection systems on the roof of our building that filters down through the building and, and out into that. And you know that was that wouldn't have been possible without state support uh, to help sure. us. You know to help us plan for that, but also to help us um, you know actually get that in place. Uh, one of the I would say like the first the first major funding that came in for this project that was a really big signifier for us was uh, uh, Commerce Rhode Island, which is, you know, the Economic uh, Development Division of the state of Rhode Island, uh, awarded this project a food cluster planning grant. And that, that mm-hmm. grant really gave us the, uh, the funding to support the development work that we needed to do to, to, take, our, to take our approach to the next step. And it was some of the, I would say, you know, in our process, that uh, that funding was probably some of the most difficult for us to initially initially get, 
but uh, it it started to open some doors for other things, uh, both on a state level and with with individuals and foundations that I really think like helped us help help kind of like put down the runway for what this project could look like. Right. It was really catalytic, the the public money. That's what they like their money to do, right? They say that. So that's cool. Yeah. And one of the one of the things that helped us convince the public sector that this was a, a project that was actually gonna happen was at the time when we were when we were going to those funding sources, um, I'm thinking, you know, after that cluster planning grant, we were able to uh, actually start to talk with some uh, some individuals who really wanted to support the project and really mm. wanted to support the project in a major way. And uh, the individual giving that came in, um, you know, the, the private philanthropy, we had, uh, you know, 14, we had multiple gifts that came in for the project, but uh, 14 individual gifts and two of them were over a million dollars. Wow, good for you. Yeah, and what that... What that did was we were able to go to the city and the state and say that there's a real, there is support for this project. You know, right. we're not, we're not going to be asking you for, for all of the support that we need to do this. That, that's not a strategy that works in Rhode Island. You know, we're a, we're a state that um, both, both the city of Providence and the state of Rhode Island, uh, you know, are, are not in a place to say, you know, here's, here's $20 million, go for it. Right. Um, so we were, we were really mindful of that, but also knew that we wanted this project to have public support because that said something about the work that we were doing too. Right. Um, so the, the private philanthropy that came in helped to help to say, this is real, this can happen. And that, that really helped, uh, those public sources feel, uh, feel more confident in this as well. And then we started to also see uh, foundations and corporate giving come in as well. Uh, we had uh, 12 foundations that supported this project. And uh, out of those 12, eight of those were new funders. Uh, Good for that, you. Yeah, it, it was, um, you know, uh, foundations that we'd never, uh, what they funded wasn't uh, maybe in alignment with the work that we were doing from an organizational standpoint, but some of those funders were in wanted to invest in infrastructure or wanted mm-hmm. to invest in some of the things that uh, this new element of, of what we were doing really, really brought to the table. Um, and then the, the, other, the other elements of the, the funding that we raised, uh, there were uh, two loans that uh, needed to be taken uh, taken on the project, and then there were uh, tax credits as well. Uh, the loans we were able to work with the city of Providence on an acquisition loan for the property, mm-hmm. uh, which um, was just tremendously helpful. Uh, the city has been a really great partner to work with on this project, and just really, really thankful for that. And then the uh, Rhode Island Foundation has a um, has a loan program as well, uh, an impact investment program. And we were able to work with uh, the Rhode Island Foundation uh, to uh, to receive receive that uh, that investment into the project as well, which will be uh, paying paying off over time. And then uh, the final the final element of of this um, of this uh, of our funding sources would be uh, tax credits. So uh, uh, there's a new market new markets tax credits were uh, an element of this an element of this project. 
And then there were also uh, a rebuild Rhode Island tax credit as well. Awesome. And those tax credits went to who? Who benefited from the tax credits? You know what I'm saying? Was it because you don't have investors in the traditional sense? No, there's a there's a community benefits agreement with the new markets tax credits and uh-huh. uh, demonstrating demonstrating outcomes of uh, what was agreed upon, like uh, what the project would do and how it would contribute to uh, the community and the surrounding area. A lot of that was based around um, uh, employment employment outcomes, job outcomes. So. A lot of things that you know we're we're in the building now, but uh, the entities that are moving in and uh, renting space from us are all going. All of them are under construction right now. Uh-huh. So a lot, a lot of the um, a lot of the employment uh, employment outcomes are actually you know will it won't only be farm fresh; it will also be the businesses that are here as well. So you know, are we uh, are we employing people from the neighborhood uh, with our Harvest Kitchen program? Are we providing job training opportunities? Are we able to match those job training opportunities with businesses that need uh, staffing development and support? And really, um, you know, really viewing that that relationship as a way that uh, you know Farm Fresh's work can have a big impact as well. You know, thinking about you know, in particular with our Harvest Kitchen program, it's a culinary training program, but we're also you know, preparing the youth that come through that program for, uh, for other, for other, for other jobs as well. So, sure. uh, that's, that's a, that's a part of this. And I, maybe more to the heart of, heart of your question is that, uh, um, there's, uh, financial institutions that serve, uh, in that new markets tax credit relationship as, uh, you know, sponsoring entities. So we essentially have a, a seven and a half year relationship with those, uh, um, with those entities as investors in the project. And then uh, at the end of that time, uh, you know, it, uh, it comes back to Farm Fresh. So I see. I see. Yeah. Well, fantastic. Right. And, and having somebody on your board who knew how to be a developer would be it, it, like, I can't even imagine going through a project like you just described without somebody like that on your board. Oh my goodness, Lucy! Uh, Lucy is just a star. Uh, yeah. I, I, uh, I think I, I was sharing this with you in a prior conversation we had. I feel like um, the opportunity I've had to work with Lucy and to learn from Lucy. Uh, I feel like I've been, you know, getting a PhD in, in yeah. real estate development from just the best person that I can imagine. So. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing what you guys have been able to do. So it sounds like your tenants are moving in, and has the market been open? So part of our part of our COVID story was that we were we were able to complete construction on this building in time for us to move the farmers market in 2020. Wow! Uh, and we we weren't planning on moving the market until 2021, but our new building had all of the air filtration systems that uh, at that point we didn't even, I don't think we realized that we were, we were installing a system that was perfect for, uh, you know, trying to mitigate some of the, uh, the COVID, COVID effects that, that we were seeing. So uh, the front of the building has all the garage doors that just open up. Oh, um, sure. Yeah. So it opens up like onto the, onto the street that's across the street from the river and then we had a very, mm-hmm. uh, very high uh, filtration unit that was, you know, turning over, turning over the air. And uh, because of that, we moved the market. Uh, 
at that point, we didn't have uh, tenants for three spaces that um, probably probably is about 15,000 square feet. So what we were able to do was we were able to uh, finish off those spaces in a very minimal way, think like drywall and basic lighting, mm-hmm. and uh, open that up as an additional overflow space for vendors. So we were able to keep the same amount of vendors that we had at the farmer's market, which is about 70 to 75 vendors, but we were able to spread everyone out. Oh, um, sure. Spread everyone out. Uh, we were able to monitor how many people were coming into the building at one time and keep it at the, keep it at the requirements that we needed. But the, the farmer's market ran uh, throughout COVID, and it was, um, I think, for a lot of folks, uh, another, another outlet where they could go and, and feel you know, safe while they were shopping. Uh, we, yeah, we, that was a thing during COVID. That must have been amazing for people. Yeah, we were... We were, I would say, somewhat lucky in that we, we had a mild winter uh, in mm-hmm. 2020 going into 2021. So we were, uh, there, were, there were days when there was definitely a lineup uh, of people waiting to get into the market, which, uh, you know, we invested in like heat lamps and other things to, to make sure that people were going to be comfortable if they were waiting outside. But uh, mm-hmm. luckily, luckily, we were able to encourage people to come in, uh, shop and, you know, leave quickly so other people could come in. It's, it's not exactly the message that, you know, I, I, it's not the message that you want to send the customers like, Hey, get in, get in and get out quickly. But we knew that if we wanted to turn over the amount of people coming into the space that we needed to encourage people to see it as a shopping, a shopping opportunity, but maybe not all of the social aspects that come along with a farmer's market. So, uh, that was also, I think on trying to do right by the farmers that were at the market as well too, to try to make sure that they were, you know, not essentially just seeing half of the customers that they would normally see, but that we could see people coming through uh, almost at the same rate. Right, right. Amazing. That's so cool. And so so farmer's market was open. Now you have the vendors coming in. Is your job training program up and running? Our, our kitchen is not up and running yet. Uh, we're mm-hmm. still, uh, we've been operating out of our uh, cafe and commercial kitchen in Pawtucket. Uh, mm. We're doing uh, we're doing some more fundraising uh, to to make that kitchen possible, and uh, so that's that's not open yet. Uh, that'll probably want to be one of the last elements of the building that comes together. Uh, right now, where we're at is that we have uh, one of our business one of our uh, renters, uh, New Harvest Coffee, uh, is up and running. They've been doing their uh, coffee roasting, and uh, they have a, a cafe. Uh, that's been open for a couple of months. It's going really well. Uh, it's it's also really nice to have someone else in the building with us. It's a oh sure, know, <laughs> yeah. It's, a, it's like a sixty thousand square foot building, and on the days when the market isn't going on, it can feel it's Pretty not quite empty. full. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they're they're in and running. Uh, I would say you know within the next three months, uh, we're probably expecting five, uh, five additional businesses to be open. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I would say maybe one or two that come in the, in the start of 2022. Uh, but we've got, uh, uh, Tallulah's Taqueria, uh, which is just a, a fantastic restaurant, uh, that's, uh, been grown by Jake and Kelly Rojas. Uh, they're going to be doing a, a commissary kitchen, at, nice. at the food hub. So they're going to be uh, making food for all of their other restaurant locations out of this space. 
Uh, they're going to be making and uh, selling their own tortillas from this space. And then they'll also have uh, a restaurant here as well. Uh, I think it's, it's a spot where uh, they can be, you know, thinking about some of the delivery services as well and the other, other elements of their business that they need to take into consideration. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's a big draw. People, uh, people come from uh, pretty far away for a, for a taco from Tallulah's Tacos. So we're, we're really excited to have them here. Their, their space is under construction right now. Uh, we've got a, a small woman-owned business named uh, Red's Hot Sauce. Uh, Deja Hart uh, has been building her brand and her, uh, uh, her company for the past few years uh, and has just been seeing a really tremendous success. She has a you know, wonderful product. It's, it's delicious. She's supporting uh, local agriculture. I think she has you know, thousands and thousands of pounds of local peppers that are grown mm. in Rhode Island. They're going into her hot sauce. Um, so they're, they're getting very close to opening and that's a that's a space that's uh, focused on production, but has uh, you know has a retail element when the market's open. Um, sure. We've got uh, a brewery, uh, Providence Brewing Company, which I, I just think has a fantastic story. Uh, the Providence Brewing Company originally, over a hundred years ago, uh, was located uh, a block away from where our building is now. Oh and, my! And uh, uh, Efren Hidalgo and. Uh, some of his business partners uh, revived that brand in East Providence and, uh, you know, started making some really interesting beers. And uh, now we're moving that business uh, back to essentially, you know, like a block where it, a block where it started from, uh, you know, almost a hundred years ago. So that's, uh, we're really excited about that. I think there's a, there's a really good story there. Um, we've got uh, uh, Anchor Toffee, uh, which is a, a professor from Johnson and Wales who's also gone through the uh, culinary incubator at Hope and Maine uh, mm-hmm. and has developed a, uh, an English toffee business that uh, you know supports local agriculture uh, and has been uh, you know just doing thriving mail order business as well. So the uh, just a, a bigger space where they can make more product and get it out into the world. And then we've got a we've got a couple other uh, other groups that I'm. Uh, not gonna. We're we're not quite at the place where the leases are signed, so I'm not gonna call like call them out by name. But we've got a, a a lot of other groups that we're very excited about joining us as well. That's awesome. That is awesome. So um, now I want to come to Rhode Island and see you. <laughs> oh, Tara, <laughs> gonna have to do that. <laughs> I I almost forgot like some of the most exciting news. Um, you know I. As a food hub who's, you know, learned and uh, had the opportunity to talk with other, you know, food hubs around the region, uh, we were, we, I'm sitting like, uh, my back is to the wall from Red Tomato's office. Uh, Red Tomato and Farm Fresh are now under the same roof as well. Oh my goodness, that's awesome. Yeah, so uh, we're, you know, we, we view our activities as very complimentary. Uh, you know, they're working on a scale and with, you know, stores that we've, you know, that's, that's not where we're working in. And it's, uh, I think both of us, both of our organizations working to benefit, you know, regional, regional farms and orchards is just, uh, it's a great story. And I know that, um, you know, we've got a lot to learn from them. And I think, you know, we've got some, we've got some things to share as well. So we're just, we're just really excited that, um, you know, that, uh, 
that we can share space with another with another food hub, although you know a non-asset based food hub, but one that's just been doing tremendous work at you know for the past twenty to twenty five years. That's amazing. That's great. Well, wow. Um, huh. it, you guys have done such amazing work, and I can't wait to see your building. And we're going to have to touch base with you again to see how things uh, evolve. Because um, one thing that's really obvious about you guys is you are an entrepreneurial organization that keeps evolving. Oh, for sure. I can't can't wait to keep you updated. Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org.